it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Shannon Green. Standoff in Texas as Governor Abbott refuses to comply with the Supreme Court decision, allowing federal border agents access to a heavily traveled illegal entry point for migrants. Texas very simply is securing the border. They have to choose whether they want to solve a problem or, you know, get in the way and score political points. Half the country's governors are backing up Texas in its fight with the Biden administration, all of them Republicans. Here in Washington, the administration releases new record-breaking numbers for the southern border amid bipartisan immigration reform talks in the Senate, now being blasted by GOP presidential frontrunner, President Donald Trump. I'd rather have no bill than a bad bill. The idea that that someone running for president would say, please hurt the country so I can blame my opponent and help my politics is a, uh, a, a shocking uh, development. We'll speak with the top GOP border negotiator, Oklahoma Senator James Lankford, and Florida Republican Senator Rick Scott, who opposes what he knows of the deal. Plus, growing outrage over 12 United Nations aid workers in Gaza, funded in part by U.S. tax dollars, accused of participating in the October 7th terrorist attacks against Israel. If there are 12 people who are accused. It's bad. It's bad if there's one. We'll get reaction from House Foreign Affairs Committee Chairman Michael McCall. And we'll sit down with NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg as all 31 member states plus Sweden take part in the largest military exercise since the Cold War. Then... Presidents Biden and Trump eager to start the general election, despite Nikki Haley's determination to stay in the race. Nikki Haley, have you ever heard of her? I didn't know she was still campaigning. You can't bully your way through this process. We'll ask our Sunday panel if there's still a path to the GOP presidential nomination for Nikki Haley. All right now on Fox News Sunday. Hello from Fox News in Washington. Stunning numbers for the month of December arrived in a Friday afternoon news dump. Customs and Border Patrol protection confirming that the U.S. southern border saw more than 302,000 migrant encounters, breaking the record previously set in September and marking the first time that number has surpassed the 300,000 mark. The hot button election year topic comes as House Republicans move forward with the impeachment of DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Fox News can report this morning there will be two articles of impeachment laid out by the House Homeland Security Committee set to be marked up this week. The first will focus on GOP accusations that Secretary Mayorkas willfully and systematically refused to comply with the law. The second article argues that Secretary Mayorkas has breached public trust, making false statements and obstructed oversight of the Department of Homeland Security. In a moment, we will speak with the GOP's lead negotiator on the border, Oklahoma Senator James Lankford and Florida Republican Senator Rick Scott, who's opposed to what he knows of the deal so far. But first, we turn to Fox News correspondent Matt Finn live from the southern border as the standoff between Texas officials and the federal government heats up. Hello, Matt. Hi, Shannon. Shelby Park, where I'm standing, has been one of the hottest spots for illegal immigration anywhere on the southern border. It was just last month that up to 4,000 migrants a day were illegally crossing right here. 
Texas got so fed up, it kicked out the Biden administration and took the border battle into its own hands. Texas is not giving in to the Biden administration's demands that it allows U.S. Border Patrol back into Shelby Park after Governor Abbott kicked out Biden's border agents three weeks ago. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton fired back on Friday with demands of his own, asking the Biden administration to prove it has any ownership over the park, which Texas insists it has the constitutional right to seize. We're just saying, hey, you know, show up and, and give us the information that's, uh, that demonstrates it, that you're correct. And I, I doubt they'll be able to do that. At the heart of the dispute, Texas does not want the federal government removing its growing razor wire barrier that's serving as a border wall. U.S. Customs and Border Protection says Border Patrol does not want to rip down the wire, rather cut it only in emergencies. Writing, Border Patrol has no plans to remove infrastructure, sea wire, placed by Texas along the border. Our posture remains the same. If we need to access an area for emergency response, we will do so. Paxton tells Fox he'd be open to cutting wire if someone's life is in danger, but Texas's resounding message has been it doesn't want Biden's border agents back in the park. Look, why do they need to be here? They don't have enough Border Patrol people anyway. We got it covered. Mr. President, Mr. President, you say you want to secure the border. Texas has secured it. Leave it alone. Meanwhile, in Washington, the Senate is trying to hammer out a bipartisan immigration bill. Paxton says Republicans should not approve a Biden plan that allows for any illegal crossings. Why do we want to put a rubber stamp on what the Biden administration is doing? And that's effectively what the Republicans would be doing. So I'm, I'm absolutely opposed to that bad idea. And President Biden says if the Senate is serious about passing that bipartisan border bill, he will sign it. Shannon. All right, Matt Finn, live at the southern border. Matt, thank you very much. Joining us now, Oklahoma Republican Senator, the GOP's lead negotiator on this potential border deal in the Senate, James Lankford. Senator, welcome back to Fox News Sunday. Thanks. Good morning to you. Okay, so you were here about a month ago. Uh, you said you were getting close then. You say you're even closer now. So let's talk about the rumors uh, and give you a chance to respond to some of the critics who say they don't like what they know of this deal. There is something akin to a Title 42 power that would allow um, the, everyone at the border to be turned away once there was a rolling average over a week of 5,000 people showing up. Here's Senator Ted Cruz on that idea. This bill normalizes 5,000 people a day coming in. 5,000 people a day is over 1.8 million a year. That's called an invasion. By the way, under Joe Biden, we've had 9.6 million. So the great Republican compromises were for two-thirds of Joe Biden's open borders. We'll let in 6 million instead of 9 million. This makes utterly no sense. Is that part of the deal? And how would you convince someone like Senator Cruz to vote for it? Yeah, the challenge that Senator Cruz has and a bunch of other folks is they're still waiting to be able to read the bill on this. And this has been our great challenge of being able to fight through the final words to be able to get the bill text out so people can hear it. Right now, there's Internet rumors is all that people are running on. It would be absolutely absurd for me to agree to 5,000 people a day. This bill focuses on getting us to zero illegal crossings a day. 
There's no amnesty. It increases the number of Border Patrol agents. It increases asylum officers. It increases detention beds so we can quickly detain and then deport individuals. It ends catch and release. It focuses on additional deportation flights out. It changes our asylum process so that people get a fast asylum screening at a higher standard and then get returned back to their home country. This is not about letting 5,000 people in a day. This is the most misunderstood section of this proposal. Let me tell you briefly what it is. Uh, In the last four months, we've had seven days. In four months, we've had seven days uh, that we had less than 5,000 people. This is set up for if you have a rush of people coming at the border, the border closes down, no one gets in. This is not, this is not someone standing at the border with a little clicker saying, I'm going to let one more in, we're at 4,999, and then it has to stop. It is a shutdown of the border, and everyone actually gets turned around. Okay. That's the focus that we have right now is how do we actually intervene in this administration and turn people around, not let people in. So there may be some initial measurements. You get to that rolling 5,000 in a week, and then it's zero from that point on, but there is some initial measurement. Our our Bill Malugin is reporting that the number would dial back then to about 37.50 a day at the border. And then once you hit that for about two weeks, the gates would open again. Uh, Can you confirm or deny that? Yeah, it's not. Again, it's not gates opening. That's a misunderstanding of the bill itself. It's how many can we process and actually deport. When you raise the standard for people coming across, when you increase the detention beds, when you increase deportation flights, you're not letting people in. And people are thinking about how the Biden administration is running it now. Right now, the Biden administration is allowing, for instance, 1,500 people a day just to come to the ports of entry, get a work permit, and get released in the country. People coming between ports of entry get what's called a notice to appear and get released in the country. All of that stops. We're focused on how many people can we process quickly and then deport out of the country, not release into the country. It would be absolutely absurd for anyone to be able to propose something to say we're just going to slow the number of releases. We're focused on how do we actually enforce our border and get us back to zero people actually crossing the border illegally. Every administration has struggled to be able to get the authorities in place to be able to actually enforce our border. Let's put them in place. So, uh, Senator Mike Lee, you brought up the idea of work permits. He's addressed this, too, because I know you've said you want to set the bar higher for getting in on asylum. So you say a lot of people won't make it through that initial screening process and they'll be immediately turned away. His concern is for the people who do make it through that right now they'd have to wait 180 days uh, for a work permit. He says now that period would go away. People would get work permits immediately, turning up the electromagnet to bring people into this country. Yeah, so there's two different ways you're getting work permits. If you come to a port of entry right now, the Biden administration is just giving a work permit the first day you walk across the border. You don't have to apply for asylum. You don't have to qualify for anything. It's literally just show up, tell us your name, and you're in the country. They're just asking, they quote-unquote, tell us in advance that you're coming. That's their only limitation on it. The second group is people apply for asylum. They don't actually qualify for asylum. They just apply for it. If they apply for it 180 days, they get a work permit. These are the folks that are driving all the blue cities crazy because they're wandering around all of these different cities on that. We end both of those to be able to make sure that the only people that are getting a work permit coming through this process are the people that have gone through a strenuous evaluation, have been evaluated, are likely to be able to end up with asylum. Those are the individuals because they're most likely going to stay here. That's a fraction of the people that go through the process. The vast majority of people that actually go through this process will be turned around and when deported. We are still the United States of America. We are still open to legal immigration in the process. And if people are legally going through the process and they qualify and they've gone through the vetting and such, 
yes, we would still continue to be able to have those work permits, but we're stopping the free work permit pass out at the border. And the if you just sign up and give us your name, you'll get a work permit. Those just end. Okay. President Biden spoke at this uh, about this last night on a campaign rally, and he said essentially if the bill were law today, it would shut down the border right now and fix, uh, fix this whole thing. So a lot of Republicans are saying he has things he could use now, executive powers and laws that are not being enforced. So why give him this in an election year, the cover of this deal that, you know, uh, critics say is still going to let a lot of people in, but he gets to take a victory lap that he's gotten something done. Yeah, well, it's definitely not going to let a bunch of people in. It's focused on actually turning people around on it. It is interesting. Republicans four months ago would not give funding for Ukraine, for Israel, and for our southern border because we demanded changes in policy. So we actually locked arms together and said, we're not going to give you money for this. We want a change in law. And now it's interesting, a few months later, when we're finally getting to the end, they're like, oh, just kidding. I actually don't want a change in law because it's a presidential election year. We all have an oath to the Constitution and we have a commitment to say we're going to do whatever we can to be able to secure the border. Just as a quick, for instance, the last four months, we've had 50 people cross our border on the terror watch list. 50. We've had tens of thousands of people that were declared by this administration a national security risk that came across our border and were released. It is our constitutional obligation to be able to secure our country as fast as we can secure our country. This puts in mandatory pieces that haven't been there in the past to make this administration actually enforce the law. I would tell you, that I, don't, I don't know of anyone that believes that if President Trump was elected, well, he was president right now, this border would not have this problem. So the thought that somehow President Biden can suddenly be the pro-national uh, security president in the final months of this is not believable. We've had millions of people illegally cross because he opened up our border. He literally invited the world to be able to come, and they came. That's why we have this chaos. We've got to do something now to be able to stop it and then to be able to put new tools that even the Trump administration was looking for when they were president, put those tools in place for every president from here on out. Senator Lankford, keep us up to date on the text. Thank you for your time. Will do. All right, joining us now, Florida Republican Senator Rick Scott. Welcome back to Fox News Sunday. All right, you heard uh, the explanation there from your colleague, uh, Senator Langford, who, by all accounts, is a well-respected person on Capitol Hill and within the Senate. He talks about just the last few months, the terror watch people that have come through, the special interest aliens. And it comes on the back of this letter from a number of former FBI executives warning congressional leaders saying this. It would be difficult to overstate the danger represented by the presence inside our border of what is comparatively a multi-division army of young single adult males from hostile nations. The country has been invaded, an invasion that will continue as long as the nation's enemies perceive it will be tolerated. So do you agree with that assessment, by the way? And if so, why not take something that would stop some of the traffic sooner rather than later? Well, first, I think James is he's smart. He's hardworking. He knows the issue. He's on a suicide mission. Um, the Democrats do not want to secure the border. I'm a business guy. I never did a business deal where the other side did not want, have the same goal I have. Democrats don't want to secure the border. That's number one. Number two is right now this border could be secure, but we know we have a lawless administration, completely lawless by administration. So the only way this is going to happen is if we have accountability that forces Biden to enforce the law. We could change all these laws. There's laws now. Trump secured the border. Biden decided to open the border on the exact same laws. We don't need a new bill. We need something to enforce, to force Biden to comply with the law. Now, James, James is doing the best he can to try to explain a bill that 
unfortunately, I don't know why they don't share it with us. I mean, I, I'd rather be for something, but we don't get anything. But what we do know, Biden's lawless. He doesn't want to secure the border. Biden's don't, by, the Democrats don't want to secure the border. And McConnell has told Lankford that he cannot put accountability measures in there to require Biden to secure the border today. He said that will not happen. So what about the issue, though, if, if you have this rolling number that when you hit 5,000, which is going to happen very quickly at this border, it would be mandatory that the border closes down. Is that not some measure of accountability that it would at least stop the flow temporarily until maybe you have a reelection or a different president? Well, Biden could do that today. Why does he do it today? I mean, he doesn't need any of this to secure the border. Trump secured the border with the exact same laws. I mean, there, unless there's some accountability measure that forces Biden to secure the border tied to Ukraine, tied to something else, unless there's something like that, Biden's not going to comply with the law. If it was important for him to comply with the law, he would do it right now. If we, if we can't force Biden to, to secure the border, we need to shut the border today. I can tell you, everybody in Florida, I mean, we love immigration, legal immigration. We don't want drugs. We don't want human traffickers. We don't want criminals. We don't want terrorists. It needs to be done today. And the only way that's going to happen is we get a bill that forces Biden to do it. And there's and we've, we've been told McConnell will not allow um, James Lankford to put that in the bill. Well, it's not in the bill. So, you, I mean, I, what, you've done negotiations before, so you know what this is like, that until that deal is done, this is a lot of tenuous back and forth. So hopefully you'll see the text. We all will very soon. But I want to ask you about the accusation that you guys actually don't want to get a bill done. Washington Post says this. Democrats are offering something Republicans have wanted for years. But dear leader Trump says no. And suddenly GOP senators are afraid to say yes. How much of your objection is based primarily on the former president's objection to this bill that he hasn't seen either? He's irrelevant to this conversation. He's not in office. All right. And by the way, I talked to President Trump. He's never asked me uh, to be opposed something. But you know what? The American voters are in the same position Trump's in and the same position I'm in. We need to secure the border today. And the only way you can do that with a lawless administration is you have to Make them do it. You have to have tie it to something. And what I, what I don't get is Mitch McConnell doesn't want to do that. It's the most important thing we want out of this bill. And we and, and by the way, we got to be very careful. We don't codify Biden's open policies, and we don't hamstring Trump when he wins the presidency. But this is if you if you don't if if you don't want to secure the border today, don't be blame it on on Trump. You know, say you you don't care what the voters think. It's not it's not all what Trump thinks. It's the voters want a secure border today. OK, I, before you go, I want to ask you about a case that you have some involvement with. This is a government contractor who worked to get IRS records and leak them, including for President Trump and thousands of other people. You have said in a letter to the attorney general you were impacted by this, too, and you don't think the DOJ is taking this seriously enough. Wall Street Journal says about this, this man's going to be sentenced tomorrow, that Mr. Littlejohn doesn't dispute that he stole tax records. He gave the files to The New York Times and progressive website ProPublica. Mr. Littlejohn's lawyers say he decided, quote, the American public had a right to know the president's tax information. Will you be at that sentencing tomorrow? What would you like to see? I'm, I'm going to be there. I, he released my tax return. He intentionally took the job to release Trump's tax return. And this, he's, he did over 7,500 people. And he's going to be he's going to plead guilty to one case. 
I mean, this is just this is an example of the Justice Department decide, oh, if you do something against Republicans, who cares? If you do it against Democrats, that's bad. But if you do it against Republicans, oh, we'll just give you a slap on the wrist. We will follow that case. Senator Scott, thanks for your time. Thanks. Up next, as more Republicans line up behind the former president, Nikki Haley rakes in the cash after Trump essentially threatens to blacklist anyone who donates to her campaign. We'll bring in our Sunday panel on whether Haley has a genuine path forward. That's next. Fox News Sunday is brought to you by Pacific Life. Over 150 years of strength and stability. Imagine your future with confidence. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Both President Biden and former President Trump cruised to victories in New Hampshire. Now the eyes of 2024 campaigns shift toward the South Carolina primary. The GOP will vote February 24th, but the Democrats moved up their primary day to this coming Saturday. Fox News White House correspondent Peter Ducey joins us live from Columbia, South Carolina, where the president's traveling to rally support ahead of the vote. Hey, Peter. Shannon, South Carolina saved President Biden in 2020. He was as low as primary candidates get, but limped in here, then won. Now he is hoping to use this state's diverse primary base as a springboard for a second term. If I were smart, I'd say thank you and leave. He stayed with a pitch to South Carolina's black Democratic primary voters. More black Americans have health insurance than ever in history. A promise made. And a promise kept. Both Biden and RNC Chair Ronna McDaniel believe November's GOP nominee will be Donald Trump. I'm looking at the math and the path going forward, and I don't see it for Nikki Haley. Haley, not happy. I let her know how disappointed I was. An RNC resolution was floated and pulled this week to declare Trump the party's presumptive nominee. Meanwhile, Trump is now taking incoming from Haley and President Biden for the same thing. A statement Trump made that Nikki Haley was in charge of Capitol Security January 6th. Have you noticed? He's a little confused these days. I think he was a bit confused, and so we'll let that pass. He apparently can't tell the difference between Nikki Haley and Nancy Pelosi. Trump insists he's good. I'll tell you what. I feel sharper now than I did 20 years ago. I really do. I don't know. It's probably not true. But Trump remains the Democrats' top target. You're the reason. Donald Trump is a loser, and you're the reason we're going to win and beat him again. We didn't hear President Biden say Nikki Haley's name once last night, even here in his home state and in her home state. uh, His campaign speech has been retooled. It is now being road tested. And the really, really firing lines have nothing to do with anything Biden did in office or would do with the second term. They are all about Trump. Shannon. All right. Peter Ducey live in South Carolina. Thank you so much, Peter. It's time now for our Sunday group. USA Today White House correspondent Francesca Chambers. Fox News senior political analyst Juan Williams 
The Heritage Foundation President Kevin Roberts and The Hill national political reporter Julia Manchester. All right, have you recovered from Iowa, New Hampshire? <laughs> yet? It's good to see all of you here. But now we're on to a southern, warmer, sunnier place. Um, but here's where we are. Nikki Haley reacting to this huge verdict against President Trump on Friday, making this point. She says he wants to be the presumptive Republican nominee, and we're talking about $83 million in damages. Not talking about fixing the border, not talking about tackling inflation. America can do better than Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Uh, Francesca, the White House has got to mm -hmm. love this. Although they seem to be moving on to the general, they're going to enjoy the infighting. Well, their strategy at this point is to focus on Donald Trump. They do believe that he will be the nominee. So they're using this runway right now to go ahead and focus on who they believe will be their opponent. But Nikki Haley there making those comments both on X. She touched on this last night in South Carolina as well. She said Russia and China and Iran have got to love this as well, that this is going to be a distraction for him if he's still in these legal battles, if he wins the presidency. But Haley still isn't going for that knockout punch against Donald Trump. Trump. You know, she's got one foot in and one foot out of this attack Trump strategy. And part of the reason is if you look at Fox's survey mm -hmm. of voters in New Hampshire, you know, nearly two thirds of them, they don't think that Trump did anything wrong here. Mm -hmm. But she's got to find a way to start cutting into his votes with rural voters heading into South Carolina or boost her support among suburban voters if she wants to have a chance. Yeah, trailing um, by double digits uh, well into them there in South Carolina. Um, President Trump, though, reacting on social media as well, saying in part, our legal system is out of control and being used as a political weapon. They have taken away all First Amendment rights. This is not America. Juan, you and I talked to voters all over these last two states, and they said that's the reason they're rallying to him. Does this work for him? Well, it works with the base. It works with the MAGA base. Uh, there's nothing, it seems, that will deter them from supporting the former president. But there's also a reality, as we learned in Iowa and New Hampshire, where you get, you know, a tremendous number of independents and even some Republicans who say, they will not vote for Donald Trump. And it's kind, of, it's kind of odd because, as we've just pointed out, he won. He won both states. But the fact is that, you know, 35 percent of Republicans I see here in my notes uh, in, in New Hampshire said they will not vote for Trump if he's the party's nominee. Fifty-eight percent of independents in New Hampshire, 55 percent in Iowa, voted against Trump. So when independents, suburban moms, hear that a jury found him liable uh, for sexual assault and now giving him this. I mean, it, it introduces some of what Nikki Haley's talking about in her message that there's this unhinged sense of, oh, chaos and trouble that follows Donald Trump. Well, and that was another thing that we heard from Haley voters in these early states. That was the attraction to him, um, even if they like him or, or to her. They may like him and his policies, but they like her offering what she says is the chaos-free chaos option. Mm -hmm. um, Wall Street Journal had an opinion piece by Peggy Noonan in uh, the last day or two, and it talks about Nikki Haley going for broke, saying she should stay in this race. And this is the advice coming from a veteran um, speechwriter and, and man about Washington who says this, admit you are not as entertaining or maybe exciting as he is, but that's okay. You're not running to entertain, but to lead a rabid squirrel in a chemistry lab is exciting to watch, but can do a lot of damage. Kevin, does she make the rabid squirrel arguments? No, it's a ridiculous argument. There's a lot of wish casting, including by Miss Noonan, and, and even this morning, Shannon. Nikki Haley is not going to deliver a knockout punch on President Trump. And do you know why? It has nothing to do with squirrels in a cage. It has everything to do with the fact that people recognize, A, these cases, all of them, all of these legal cases are illegitimate. And B, President Trump is focused on what the people care about, securing the border, 
addressing the economy and public safety until and unless Ambassador Haley and the radical left and President Biden wrap their heads around that. President Trump will continue to lead in every single poll that has come out in the last several months. Well, we saw we see his rallies. We saw another one last night um, where he is talking about all of these things and making the case that there really isn't that, you know, he's moved on to the general as well. A very interesting piece in The Intelligencer in New York magazine uh, talked with a woman who was a big supporter of President Trump in 2016. She really soured when January 6th and some other things that happened. Um, she said she didn't want him to run. She was not going to vote for him. But now where we are in the primary, she had a choice to make. Um, the headline is Trump haters turn Trump voters. Why are they giving him a second chance? She said this with all of those things in the background, more than anything, she did not want another four years of Democratic control of the White House. So, Julia, will there be those who have somehow broken with President Trump, said I'm never going to vote for him again? Will there be more that match this woman's thought, okay, if it's him and Biden, I'm going to do it again. Absolutely. But I think there's also a group of voters who look at Trump versus Biden and saying, we've been giving this awful choice of these two men once again in 2020. I think 2020 was you know, a very traumatic year for the country and the world for many reasons. But also, it was a very ugly election year, and this really harkens back to it. Um, so I think that's why there's so much interest in a third party. Now, do I think a third party nominee is going to win the presidency? Likely not. However, I think there is polling that would suggest there's interest in that, and that's why they're gravitating towards it. Yeah, one of the leaders, by the way, of um, no labels, third party said that they actually feel like after Iowa and New Hampshire, they're more likely to run a third party uh, bid. So we'll see. Um, panel, don't go far. Uh, that's it for now. But up next, we're going to go back to our top story, the crisis at the border. We've got breaking details about the articles of impeachment drafted by the House Homeland Security Committee against DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Got a copy in my hands. We'll get reaction from House Foreign Affairs Chair Michael McCall next. Here's to getting better with age. You're looking at live pictures in Eagle Pass, Texas. That is the border area much under dispute right now. Tensions ramping up this week between Texas Governor Greg Abbott and the White House over the administration's response there at the southern border. And now, after multiple hearings over dereliction of duties, House Republicans are set to move forward with articles of impeachment, even a House-wide vote, to actually impeach DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Joining me now to discuss, Texas Republican Congressman Michael McCall. Welcome back to Fox News Sunday. Thanks for having me, Shannon. All right, so we have brand new here the two articles of impeachment, willful and systemic uh, refusal to comply with the law and breach of the public trust. Now, is he just the messenger carrying out the policies for the administration? Why go after him when this may go nowhere in the Senate? Uh, he knows better. And I, I, I you know, I served I chairman Homeland Security when Jay Johnson, he was the deputy. He was a U.S. attorney in uh, Los Angeles. Uh, he knows better. This is not by accidents, by design. And he, I call him the architect of destruction. Uh, Eight million encounters, uh, 300 on the terror watch list, 200 million people dead now thanks to fentanyl poisoning that this one man is responsible for. I think that is a dereliction of duty. And, you know, we looked at the founding fathers here. They didn't have a lot of federal criminal statutes. Breach of the public trust is sufficient to impeach. And, uh, you know, I think it's important that we respond to the American people. All right. Here's a response from a Democratic congressman, colleague of yours. Jake Auchincloss was on Fox yesterday. Here's what he said. Impeachment is grossly inappropriate for policy differences. If Republicans are serious about border policy, then let's engage on this bipartisan border policy bill. 
impeaching Secretary Mayorkas is an admission by the GOP in the House that they don't actually have plans. They just have anger. Because you're angry. Yeah. My constituents are angry. I just got back from Texas. I was down at the border. I saw it's worse than it's ever been, Shannon. The detention spaces are overflowing again. And all the you know, notice to appear and they're let into our society. It's unsustainable. And it's causing injurious to the state is what the founding fathers said. This is the greatest injury I think I've seen. And it was really because of the change in policy by executive fiat uh, and changing executive orders from the previous administration. I love the fact we're going to try to do legislation up here. But the fact is, President Biden could change this tomorrow if he just changed uh, the executive orders they did on day one. Remain in Mexico came out of my committee. And it simply says you're detained, but you remain in Mexico pending the adjudication of political asylum. Therefore, catch and release is over. And it stopped and it secured the border. This president could do the same thing. But he chooses not to. Okay, quickly, if the Senate deal comes together, but it's DOA in the House, as we keep hearing, will the House vote on some measure for Ukrainian aid that's not attached to the border? Or does it have to be a deal, package deal for you? I mean, uh, you know, that's gone back and forth. And, you know, you know, that's kind of a leadership question. I, I could see it tied to maybe Israel and Indo-Pacific. Um, you know, I, my thoughts, you know, in Ukraine, I think we can't abandon our allies and surrender to Putin in Ukraine like we did in Afghanistan. But maybe border splits apart from those. Well, it seems to me that, that that's, of course, things are currently. I don't know if the Senate version is going to be sufficient in the House. I don't know if Speaker Johnson will put it on the floor unless it has significant policy changes well, like the ones I'm talking about. And we don't have the text yet, so we'll see. There's a lot of pressure. As and we don't. Waits. Okay, so let's talk about this, given your foreign policy connection as well. Mm-hmm. Um, this U.N. agency that we fund to the tune of billions of dollars with U.S. funds, it's supposed to help people um, within the Gaza Strip and beyond. There are accusations that several of the employees were somehow directly involved in the massacres, the terror attacks on October 7th. We're among the countries that have suspended funding to them. Um, but there has long been a history of questions and problems about their activity. How do we get aid to people in the region who desperately need it, civilians, and, you know, also decide how we're going to hold this agency accountable? Well, you do it through other NGOs like the World Food Program and others. I mean, the, the United Nations Relief Agency, uh, the previous Trump administration cut all funding for a reason, just for this reason. The idea that UNRWA was actually supplying, uh, you know, harboring weapons to assist with Hamas's invasion of Israel. Now, those are the allegations that have come out of Israel. We're investigating. But if true, think how outrageous that is. And we do have reporting that UNRWA is using money to give aid to Hamas. Um, and that's why I've advocated to cut that funding. The administration finally, after they allowed it, put a pause on it uh, just a couple of days ago. Uh, this is, and they're going to testify before my committee, and we're going to get some answers. Okay, another foreign policy issue. Bipartisan group of House members wrote a, a letter to the president on Friday about the strikes on the Houthi um, targets, all that's going on in the Red Sea. They say this, we believe the U.S. unauthorized strikes in Yemen violate the Constitution. We urge your administration to seek authorization from Congress. They say it's up to Congress debating putting U.S. troops, U.S. dollars in line with attacks like these. Where are you on this? Well, this, this goes back to the authorization of use of military force. My committee would pass this. Right now, they're using Article 2 self-defense, right? Houthi rebels, they've shut down the Red Sea, by the way. Uh, you know, 450% increase 
in shipping going through there, so inflation, energy. But the bottom line is, uh, to some extent, I agree that Congress should authorize, but I would authorize. I, in fact, in my AUMF proposal, we authorized uh, use of force against not uh, the, these Iranian proxies, not Iran itself, but the proxies of Iran. That's what's changed since 9-11. Houthi rebels are causing so much destruction. And this projection of weakness that this administration has, whether it be you know, with Russia, China, and the Ayatollah, has brought this on. All right. We'll see if the White House does come to you on this. Mr. Chairman, always good to see you. Thanks, Shannon. Thanks for coming in. Also joining us now, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg. Welcome to Fox News Sunday as we continue our international affairs conversation. Good to have you. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, so you are now launching what's being described as the largest military exercise since the Cold War. Tens of thousands of troops, uh, tons of countries, um, air power, ships out there. As we're looking at what's happening in the Middle East, China actually points to you guys and says you're the reason that things are unstable. You're a walking war machine. NATO is everywhere it goes. What's your message to China and what's the broader message you hope to communicate through this exercise? So NATO is a defensive alliance, and the purpose of NATO is uh, to preserve peace, uh, to prevent uh, war. And this exercise uh, is to demonstrate uh, our strength, how uh, North America and Europe can work uh, together, not to provoke a conflict, but to prevent the conflict, as NATO has done for uh, 75 years. Uh, peace in Europe is, 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 is there because we stand together in North America and, uh, and, uh, and Europe. I would imagine that part of the messaging, this show of force, is for Russia as well. Um, Putin said early on that part of his problem in this incursion, this war with Ukraine, has started because he didn't want NATO to expand. It looks like Sweden is now going to join if the uh, objections from Hungary are out of the way. Um, I talked with Sweden's defense minister about this a few weeks ago. I always say that the Swedish and Finnish NATO membership, that's the mother of all unintended consequences for Russian thinking. Uh, Russia did not see that Sweden or Finland would join the alliance, and this was not planned, but that's, of course, a consequence. Obviously not a consequence that Russia wants. Do you have any thoughts about whether they may see this as a provocation? There may be some reaction from Mr. Putin once Sweden officially joins. President Putin is uh, getting the exact opposite of what he wanted. He wanted less NATO. He's getting more NATO. He's getting more NATO troops uh, uh, in the eastern part of the alliance, in the Baltic region in Poland. Uh, but it also, he's also getting two new uh, NATO members. Finland is all, uh, has already joined. Uh, and now uh, soon Sweden will become uh, a member. This is not a provocation. This is a way for NATO allies uh, to stand together and now two more allies. And this reflects that we are in a more dangerous world because Putin has used the uh, uh, force, he has invaded another country, Ukraine, and therefore these countries with, which have decided for years to stand uh, to be outside of NATO now have decided to join and we welcome them. And you've also talked about a path for Ukraine to join NATO as well. Do you worry given Putin, given his actions, that once NATO does join, uh, or once Ukraine joins NATO, that the rest of that task force then is going to be potentially drawn into a military war with Putin? But again, NATO is there to prevent war, uh, and we have done so successfully. I'm from Norway, and Norway is bordering uh, Russia. We actually border the Soviet Union, the only NATO ally that border the Soviet Union when NATO was established. Uh, Soviet said that was a provocation that Norway be became a member. It was not a provocation. It is, it's a the right of every sovereign nation to choose its own path, uh, and that is the right Norway has, uh, Sweden, Finland ha have, and also uh, Ukraine. Um, it is important that uh, Putin doesn't get his way in Ukraine. 
because that will embolden uh, other authoritarian powers. Today it's uh, Ukraine, tomorrow it may be uh, Taiwan. So it's a good deal for us, for the United States, to support Ukraine and also at some stage invite them to become a full member of the alliance. And obviously, as you know, you've heard throughout our show, Ukraine, the funding for it here from the U.S. is tied up with a big dispute over our border and other political issues. You're going to meet with a lot of top defense officials and with lawmakers on the Hill this week. What will your message be to them about Ukraine funding from the U.S.? So first of all, I understand that the border issue is important. Uh, that's important in the United States, as it is in many other uh, NATO allies. But it's not for NATO to give advice on, actually, uh, on exactly how different allies are dealing with border issues. What matters is that uh, Ukraine uh, gets uh, uh, continued uh, uh, support uh, because uh, uh, we need to realize that uh, this is closely watched uh, in Beijing. So it's not only making Europe more vulnerable, but all of us, also the United States, more vulnerable uh, if uh, Putin gets what he wants uh, in Ukraine. And this is actually a, a, a good deal because we, uh, by, by using a fraction of uh, the U.S. defense budget, uh, we have been able to uh, destroy and degrade uh, the Russian army substantially uh, and therefore we should continue to do so uh, because uh, not least knowing that uh, most of this money is actually spent in the United States. Uh, we buy U.S. weapons to support uh, uh, Ukraine. This secures jobs in, in, in America and makes, it all, uh, makes us all safer. There's been some growing skepticism on the Hill, so we'll see how your meetings go, Mr. Secretary General. Thank you for stopping in. Thanks. Good much. to see you. Up next, the Biden administration makes a move on America's energy sector that critics say is actually going to hurt our economy, maybe even our national security. But climate activists say this is long overdue. Our Sunday panel debates the fallout next. Singing is my career. It's a lower cost for American families, including energy costs. Today's pause on new natural gas export approvals recognizes climate crisis for what it is, the existential threat of our time. It's a threat, a serious threat. President Biden, following his decision to place a freeze on all approvals for liquefied natural gas export projects. We are back with the panel now to talk about this. Okay, the Wall Street Journal editorial board does not love this idea, saying this. The administration hopes its climate gesture will boost the president's flagging political support among young people. Who cares about the real world impact or the signal to allies and adversaries that the U.S. isn't a reliable partner? One, they say it was a TikTok influencer on the climate who went to the White House and partially convinced them to do this. I, I find that highly dubious, but possible because TikTok is an influence on what he, this message is, according to The Wall Street Journal, is really aimed at young voters who are concerned with climate change. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we have to just put this in some context. The Biden administration doesn't talk about it, but oil production, liquid natural gas production under this administration is at record highs. The United States is setting records as the number one producer of oil, nat liquid natural gas in the world. But Biden also is saying, and I think he's saying it to that young voter uh, cohort, Shannon, that we care about climate change, the United States. Now, obviously, the Wall Street Journal and business community would say, well, wait a second. If, we're, if we've got liquid natural gas and other countries are demanding, why not give it to them? So their response is, in cases of unanticipated emergencies, national security, we will deal with them. Uh, but they are very intent in this political year in sending a political message. 
Well, uh, Julia, Senator Jack Reed, a Democrat, obviously said that this is actually good news for American consumers. It will increase the supply of domestic natural gas, which should create downward pressure on prices for Americans to heat their homes and power their businesses. Right. And I mean, that's important right now in the economy and with Americans not really feeling or saying they're not feeling the effects of the booming economy. But, you know, to Juan's point and, you know, that discussion on politics, I think this is very this is definitely a way for the Biden administration to really galvanize that young voter base. That is a part of this coalition that Biden relied on to get elected in 2020 and that many Democrats rely on that are breaking from him. And I think it's very serious. We're seeing it in the polls. They're breaking from him on issues like the environment, like the war in Gaza and Israel. So this is something that the Biden administration is really trying to reach across to those voters to galvanize them. We don't know if it'll work yet. There's obviously a number of issues, but the Trump campaign obviously going on the offensive against this. So I'm curious to see how this is going to work with more independent voters. Yeah. And, and you talk about the economic tie in because all of our considerations are daily life. I mean, people are feeling it there, even though there was good news on the fourth quarter, which all Americans should be celebrating. Um, the American Prospect has this warning, though, says it's a mistake to keep harping on how great the economy is since it's only marginally better for most working families. What Biden needs to do is make the election future-oriented, talk about how much more needs to be done, could be done in a second Biden term. Um, Kevin, they are not walking away from Bidenomics. He's still harping on this, on, on the trail. It's, it's very bizarre. I mean, the, the policy, as you might imagine, coming from the President Heritage Foundation has some faults, but just politically it's bizarre. And, and for that matter, a component of this, this LNG decision is bizarre. Number one, it doesn't help. So 2.3 billion people still living in poverty in the world, the best way they can get out of that is by access to natural gas. What are they doing instead? They're using coal. It aids Russia. And the third thing is, and this actually ties into the question about the economy, Shannon, this is retribution. I mean, we're living at a time when most of the commentary by media, not you, are focused on retribution by President Trump. This is retribution for Texas. God bless Texas for standing up on the border. That's what Americans realize. It's about the border. It's about the economy. It's about public safety. And the more President Biden does this kind of thing, the less likely it is he'll be reelected. Well, I have heard this allegation that because Texas has, I think, three locations for the liquefied natural gas, that this is something to do with the border. That people would play politics in Washington is taking our breath away. I'm sure we're all stunned by that. Um, it's just an allegation. Uh, okay, but back to the economic issue. Pew Research has new polling out mm -hmm. on this saying uh, economic ratings mean far less. They remain far less positive than before the pandemic. And they go on to say more Americans believe economic conditions will be worse a year from now than better. And that's really tough in a re-election year. And actually, last night in South Carolina, President Biden, he didn't use the word Bidenomics last night. Instead, <laughs> he talked about the $1,400 checks that his administration through pandemic assistance sends to people, $300 for children. So he was talking about tangible things that Americans could, could you know, hold in their hands versus some of these roads and bridges and things that were just not connecting with voters. But it's still just not helping his numbers, Shannon. Yeah, I mean, but consumer confidence sentiment is rising. Mm -hmm. The question is, it does, is, it, but does it's it not keep helping rising? His poll number. Yeah, not does, now, does, does it, does it keep time? rising going mm -hmm. towards November? I mean, the fact is, the economy, the stock market is unbelievable mm -hmm. right now. Well, again, when people are buying grocery and gas and all these things, um, there's that daily measurement for them. So we'll see where it gets to in November of this year. All right, panel, thank you very much. We'll see you next Sunday. Up next, Fox News foreign correspondent Trey Yanks joins us live from Israel with more on those shocking allegations that employees of a U.N. agency supported with your U.S. tax dollars were directly involved in the October 7th terror massacre.
Okay, everyone. And Houthi rebels continue to trade blows around the Red Sea as the conflict in the Middle East escalates amid the ongoing war in Gaza. Fox News correspondent, foreign correspondent Trey Yanks joins us live from Tel Aviv with the very latest. Hello, Trey. Shannon, good morning. It's day 114 of the war between Israel and Hamas as concern grows about the possibility of that conflict expanding across the region. Chaos erupts at the overcrowded Nasser Hospital in Han Yunus. Palestinians being treated on the floor. There is simply no space left for the injured. The simplest things in the hospital, such as painkillers and anesthesia tools, are not available. Dr. Mohammed Harara explains, we're trying our best to deal with patients that arrive, and we're trying to keep them alive. With the Israeli air and ground campaign against Hamas entering its 17th week, fighting is intensifying around Gaza's second largest city. At an evacuation corridor, civilians chant the people want to overthrow Hamas. Thousands of vulnerable Gazans are on the move again, running out of places to go. Israel's ongoing campaign comes as the country braces for another war. Israeli forces launched new drills this weekend to prepare for conflict with the Iran-backed Lebanese militant group Hezbollah. And with Israel's key ally, the United States, engaging Iran-backed Houthi rebels in Yemen, including new strikes Saturday morning to destroy an anti-ship missile, there are growing fears about the possibility of a broader regional war. Diplomatic efforts are ongoing to calm the region as CIA Director William Burns is in Paris along with the Qatari Prime Minister, the Egyptians and the Israelis trying to hammer out the details of a possible ceasefire that could include the release of hostages. Shannon. Trey, thank you. That's it for today. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next Fox News Sunday. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to Fox News Sunday ad-free on Amazon Music with your Prime membership or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.